0: Hello Bulls fans, welcome to Bulls HQ, Chicago Bulls podcast. My name is Mark, his name is Will. Will, how are you? Happy New Year, how are things, mate? I'm doing well. Happy New Year to
1: you too. Happy New Year to all the listeners. I think uh, we can all agree that uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day were pretty happy
0: days for the Bulls and hopefully we can ride this momentum into the new year. Yeah, for sure. For sure. This is well this is the funny thing for me. Both of these game winners have come in the new year for me, and I, I suppose this is the uh the magic of time zone, I suppose. But uh the New Year's Eve game against the Pacers was New Year's Day for me. It was actually a 7 AM game for me, like which is very rare. Like games are typically around midday for me, but that was an early start. And I was kind of annoyed, like coming after, coming after like New Year's Eve, they having to get up at like seven o'clock to, to watch a Bulls game. And it was a pretty terrible game for the most part. But then DeRozan did what he did. And then obviously followed it up the next day against that, against the Wither- uh, Wizards with a maybe at least in my opinion that was probably a more tougher game winner like that that corner three do you you think that was a in terms of degree of difficulties which one do you think was a more difficult shot the 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 paces one foot step back it wasn't really a step back with the one foot three or the the corner shot where he had two guys basically draped over him which one was more difficult in your opinion
1: I yeah I think the the corner one just because he had all his momentum going away from the basket whereas like I mean, it it was kind of a fading shot, but he was dribbling and his momentum was going towards the the basket on the one legged New Year's Eve heave. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would go with like double pump fake, two guys in his face. But who who cares? Like <laughs> Demar Demar Derozan is uh, is winning games, and I saw on the broadcast today that he had a game winner against the magic like in 2013 and that's his only other career game winner if i had that oh, right wow. and yeah, yeah. then he hits two in a row for like only player to ever hit two game winners uh on consecutive days and in nba history and <laughs> uh joins larry bird as the, as the only player to hit game winners in consecutive games so we are witnessing something special here with demar Derozan. rosen he is he's just amazing
0: yeah. And look, that was my takeaway as well immediately after it. Like, I, after I came down, obviously, like, initially, like, what, what, what is this on both shots? Actually, I was like, what the hell are you doing, Damar? What, what, what are you doing? Like, there was, Vooch, I think, was open on that Paces jumper. And if it wasn't Vooch, then, then Zach was open in the corner as well. And then, you know, that, that, that they corner, they corner shot there against the, um, against the Wizards, the audacity to pump fake to then, take your shot like I don't understand how how he and Zach get away with that but that they for whatever reason love doing so and it works out for the best I guess uh, more often than not with both of these guys but I mean the audacity of both of those shots and the fact that they both went down and I obviously didn't expect them to go down not to mention the style points attached with all of that stuff but you know once you once you calm down from the moment and you realize what you're sort of witnessing in real time. Like we were going to be talking about this DeMar DeRozan season for a damn long time. And look, maybe that uh, reverberation of that conversation will continue for a long, long time, depending on what happens in the playoffs and, and those sorts of things. But I mean, through 30 odd, let's call it 35 games, the, the what DeRozan has done, what the Bulls have done with DeRozan, the fact that the Bulls are now two games clear atop of the East in large part because of the way DeRozan and Levine have come together, like... I don't know. For whatever reason, I took stock in those moments and just and just really started to really appreciate the the level of season that we're getting out of here to, from Damar. I mean, last last episode we were talking about the fact that the Bulls have sort of stumbled their way into two top twenty players at least with Damar and Zach. But the, what 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 Demar is doing right now, the fact that he won Player of the Week is probably going to be Player of the Month for December. Like. We, I hope Bulls fans are sort of relishing this in real time and appreciating it in real time. I'm sure we will be appreciating it for years to come, in you know the following number of years. But I hopefully uh, everyone's appreciating it in real time and realizing the uh, the level of play that we're actually witnessing here.
1: It's uh, it kind of reminds me of like a weird inverted version of like Jimmy Butler's sort of coming to superstardom era. I, I think that took course over. Um, you know, a few seasons. But it just like reminds me of like his 40 point half against the Raptors and that like tip in game winner alley-oop against the Pacers. And just like, yeah, some of those moments that you'll be thinking about in five, 10 years of just like incredible Bulls moments that obviously like aren't going to be on the same level as you know, the 2011 heat series or anything like that because it isn't the playoffs, but just like really special things that are happening all in the same season. And I think what's different is obviously like Jimmy Butler was 23, 24 entering, starting to like find himself as a superstar in the NBA and entering his prime. Demar's like supposed to be coming down from his prime, you know, 32 years old and just playing at such an elite level. It's, it's really really special and fun to watch but I also think you kind of alluded to it here and I think we should talk about it a bit is just like how bad some of this basketball has been and him bailing <laughs> bailing us out of just you know games that were pretty ugly um, magic included we're recording here after the bulls take down the magic um on Monday night 102 to 98 but uh, yeah, some, some really sloppy games, but we're so lucky to have Demarta just carry us into these wins and, and start to really uh, move, move our way up the standings here.
0: Yeah, look, definitely the last few games at least um, have been very bad. I mean, they they had two quality offensive performances against the Hawks. I think last time we spoke was after the first Hawks game, then they went on to win again against Atlanta, a depleted Atlanta team, but they beat them down pretty easily. And then run into a bit of a, um, you know, I wouldn't say good teams in the Pacers and the Wizards, but teams that are frisky teams on a back-to-back heading into the new year. Like there's always a risk to that. And look, we can come back and talk about our predictions from last week and, You were right about it. I was not, but nonetheless, uh, you know, it it could have gone either way, I suppose, just just due to the fact that the balls weren't at their best. But uh, the, the way I'm looking at it, or at least the perspective I'm approaching. You know, the, their last three or four games with is the fact that this team, by my math, at least maybe I'm wrong. I believe they played six games in the last eight days or at least six games between the 26th of December to the, to, uh, to January 3rd up until the magic game. So that's a lot of damn basketball to be playing in just over a week and to be doing most of that without. Without your coach, for, for starters, but without Monzo and uh, Caruso for the bulk of it. You lose Gervonta, uh last game with a groin injury now that it's going to keep him out for two to four weeks. Tyler Cook got hurt in the game uh, against the Wizards. He rolled his ankle or sprained his ankle. He looks like he's going to be out for a number of weeks. I mean, you already were without Tony Bradley. Like The Bulls have been playing under man. They've been playing a lot of basketball in, in, in a quick succession of time here. So you know yes it's been ugly basketball yes we've been rescued uh by by demar in this instances and maybe some of these wins shouldn't have been wins but nonetheless i i'm still i'm still coming out of it feeling pretty high one because of the way it's the way it's ended but nonetheless like you know, schedule, they basically beat the schedule loss. Like I was predicting that they were going to lose to the Wizards because of a schedule loss, but they they got it done. So the fact that they're winning these games in spite of injuries, in spite of COVID or like in spite of playing poor, like it is super encouraging nonetheless for me at least.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is, they're taking care of business. That's what you need to do if you want to be a high seed, you know, 50 plus win team. Um, Right now, I'm just looking here at the um, expanded standings on espn.com they're 11 and six against 500 or better teams and 14 and four against below 500 teams so obviously they're playing at a really high level against good teams and being competitive and, and really successful in those games like the nets for example are eight and ten so you know they have not played as well the bucks are eight and five the heat are 13 and nine. So, I mean, the bulls are right up there, if not better than most of the other high seeded East teams against really good teams. And then they're just not losing to the bad teams, which is what you have to do. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it is kind of like to the run circling back to, to Jimmy Butler. Like he always used to say that, like, you know, it doesn't really matter if you win, like everything just takes care of itself if you win. And that's kind of the case. Um, but I think also like some of the stuff can get overlooked, and you know if we're if we're splitting hairs, which you kind of need to do um, if you're going to be entering the playoffs at high seed and deciding if you want to push all your chips in the middle and go for you know a, a big trade at the deadline. Like these are things that you need to be thinking about. And I think you have two important notes here. One is that like the Bulls can not play their best basketball and they can still win those games. And uh, that's just something that we have not seen in a really long time that they can hang around, um, even against good teams, um, against teams like the Magic, where they started the first quarter of 15 points. Um, they can keep themselves in games and then go out and
0: close out. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty exciting, pretty special. Yeah, for sure. And look, this Magic team, they're, they're not a good team and I'm, I'm certainly not going to s- suggest as much, but the Nets lost to the Magic a few weeks ago. The uh, the Bucks lost to the Pistons tonight, if I'm not mistaken. The Nets also lost tonight, which is why the the Bulls are two games up at the moment. So like to your point, like the Bulls are taking care of, care of business maybe more so than what certainly the Nets are. Um, the Bucs are coming back now after a, a slow start to the season when they had a lot of guys out injured or you know in their COVID protocols and those sorts of things. So, Nonetheless, like the Bulls are doing what they need to do, they're they're taking care of business as you sort of alluded to. And for me, like today against the Magic, like I, I'm completely okay with um, you know this level of performance, particularly now that we're going into a four day break where the Bulls come up against the Wizards again. So like I would assume that uh, they they can, that they can take care of take care of business against the Wizards at home on Friday Friday night. So I would I would assume after a long layoff here a well-deserved layoff here that they'll uh, they'll get it together again and play a little better on Friday night. But we'll like, I mean, the Bulls got a win. Uh, Wendell looked really good against the the Bulls. Like that's a double win for me, even making it even better. Like Denzel Valentine got traded to the Knicks and then was immediately waived. That made it a triple win for me. So like today's been a very good day for me. So I'm I'm not going to complain today. We are winning in 2022. That is, it's a good (laughs) start to the year. Um, first four days of 2022 have been uh, fruitful. Long may it continue.
1: <laughs> but uh, no, to your point about the schedule, I think uh, another sort of piece of news uh, that we should address here is yeah. the makeup games on the postponed games that mm-hmm. the Bulls, uh, you know, weren't able to play due to, due to COVID. So um, they rescheduled the December 14th game against the Pistons for January 11th. They rescheduled the December twenty second game against the Raptors at home for January twenty sixth, and the December sixteenth game at the Raptors for February third. So they've uh, put those two, those three games back in, and then um, had to do some other moving around. So they'll now play uh, at Oklahoma City on January twenty fourth and at Atlanta on March third. So. The schedule does get a little squeezed here moving forward, just because of you know um, some of the games that they had to take off. Uh, they basically like haven't lost in almost a month now, just because I mean mm-hmm. they yeah. they probably beat Detroit and maybe Toronto one or two of these times, but um, those games obviously get like injected into the schedule later on, and the ramifications of that are adding in a few back to backs. So the schedule will get tight. Um, and to your point, I mean, we're just banking up these wins here and, and that's really going to matter later on down the year.
0: Yeah. And look, if it, if, if it feels like the Bulls haven't lost in over a month, it's basically cause they, they haven't like they're, they're 12 of, uh, of their last 14. So they have benefited a little bit because obviously, you know, they went through their whole COVID thing at a time when other teams weren't, which was a, a disadvantage, let's say, but they, they got through it. Okay. With only like roughly two or so losses from memory, but they're sort of on the back end now, catching teams who are sort of are running into their own COVID issues, which is helping the Bulls here, particularly against those, the Hawks, for example, um, and even the Pacers had some guys out. But yeah, these games are going to have to may, be made up, which is, I guess, a good thing. But hopefully, the Bulls catch those teams at the right time. But nonetheless, we'll find out. I guess in uh, January, I suppose is when they when, when we start getting these games again soon. And you know, I think there's a couple later on in February, March. But as as you sort of noted there, so. Yeah, it's good that they've been worked back into the schedule. Obviously, who the hell knows what happens at that point? Maybe this Bulls team looks very, very different at that point. Like, we who knows what the roster looks like at that point? Let alone our roster, what their roster is. Whether it's due to COVID or anything like that, or injuries, or maybe just just trading time because it as we get closer to the trade deadline, then maybe these maybe these teams start to look a little bit different. But. Focusing on the roster that we have on hand at the moment, well like one of the encouraging things for me is despite like obviously DeMar doing his DeMar things and, you know, just, just buoying the balls to, to wins when maybe they shouldn't have won with these outrageous jumpers that he's making. But what has been super encouraging to me is the fact that Kobe White has been so damn good and we're all celebrating the DeMar DeRozan game winners and rightly so, like we should be, like historic performances, as, as you mentioned before. but. Demar's not in position to make these jumpers to to win these games, if for not the play of Kobe White or Io. Even I'll extend it to, to Io as well. Like these two guys off the bench in moments when Zach haven't had it going or Demar hasn't had it going through like second and third quarters in particular. Like these two have been so damn good to the point where they've been able to keep the Bulls in games to the point where Demar can then come in and at the end of the game or Levine or whoever it is. I mean specifically been Demar in the last couple games, but. These guys have kept the balls in these games, these ugly games that we referenced before, which maybe they would have lost had it not been for Kobe White and Io. So, like, we might not even be talking about DeMar having these amazing performances, if we're not Kobe White, who over his last six to seven games has just been absolutely fantastic. He has been... I mean, we. I think I mentioned on the last show,
1: like, the narrative about Kobe has just swung back and forth in such extreme yeah. levels where, like, I mean, I think last week he was <laughs> shooting... uh, from three, 35% from the field since coming back from, it must've been COVID. There were a couple of straight games where he was inactive. You know, he's had a few bad games sprinkled in here, but between the 19th against the Lakers and last game against the Wizards, he is averaging 16 points per game, 3.7 assists, uh, 2.7 rebounds, a steal and shooting 45% from the field, 43% from three. So like, those are the numbers that I would expect to see more in line with Kobe. Just, you know, aside from like the box score numbers where like, yeah, maybe he gets going one night or another and like maybe Zach is out and he has to step up or, um, you know, maybe Io is playing really well and he doesn't get quite as many minutes. But just in terms of the percentages and um, looking confident and uh, actually like making some, <laughs> making some shots, uh, he's definitely like starting to to look like Kobe and, uh, you know, it brings up a lot of questions about like, you know, does that make him less tradable? Does that make him more tradable? But at the end of the day, he's playing really well. The Bulls don't get these last three wins without him. Um, he's been playing at, at a really high level. I think he's he's shown a lot defensively as well. Some playmaking chops. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm very pleased with how, how Kobe is playing. And and tonight was no different. He uh, he was really good against the Magic. Let's see here. He had 17 points on seven for 11 shooting, um, two of five on threes, two assists to rebounds. So uh, another solid showing in 35 minutes. And and the Bulls need, especially with Caruso out, like they need that scoring burst off the bench. And he's kind of falling into place, falling into a role that makes sense to him. And yeah, it's helping the Bulls win games.
0: Yeah, completely. And I, I guess what I've really enjoyed about this Kobe run at the moment is the fact that he's done it in in multiple ways. Like, there's been games where he's had, you know, typical heat check Kobe games where he's come off the bench and had 20, 25 points, drained a lot of threes, played that six men, six man bench score role like exactly how I would have envisioned him doing. But then he's also had games where he's, where he's been you know, dishing the ball. And I think he had a game, which game was it going to, against um, Atlanta, the game that we hadn't talked about, the game after we last podcast, where he had his 12 assists. Like he wasn't, he didn't shoot the ball great that game, six or 14, but he had 12 assists and still impacted the game positively um, from a a playmaking point of view to the point where he was one assist shy of his career high. But then like you referenced today, like against the Magic, Zach didn't necessarily have it going against the Magic. DeMar didn't necessarily have it going against the Magic either from a pure efficiency standpoint. But there's Kobe again, bobbing up with 17 points. And this time, again, doing it off the bench, whereas, you know, earlier in the week, or well, he was starting for the Bulls because Lonzo was obviously in health and safety protocol. So, like, not only has he shown uh an ability to do it in multiple ways on the court. Like he's done it in multiple ways, whether he was as a starter or as a bench guy, which to me is also very encouraging as well. But like that tandem of doing it with with Io, like Io doing some amazing defensive things against uh Trey Young, but then also having some great defensive moments against Bradley Beal against the Wizards the other night as well. But like offsetting those two guys together, I think, has been really fascinating over the last sort of five to seven games. And there's been a lot of conversation among the fan base as to, you know, whether Io or whether Io had been better than Kobe to this point of the season, which I think is fair to say he had been, but you know, to the point where maybe Io would be replacing Kobe in the in the depth chart or in the rotation and makes Kobe more expendable. And whilst that's still a fair question that I think the fan base will continue to discuss, I think what has been interesting to me the last couple of games is how much these two guys you know, how, how they, how they fit together, basically how synergistic their games are, given that, you know, I is more the defensive guy, Kobe's more the offensive guy and how, how well they fit together. And I, I'm really excited to see what these two off the bench could look like with Caruso when he gets back as well. Like I understand that's a three guard lineup. Maybe some people would like to see a little bit more size in the back, uh sorry, in the, in the bench unit there. But I, I kind of like the idea of that three guard lineup coming off the bench and I'm just wondering, wondering how potent they could be if Kobe and Io maintain this level of play when uh, Caruso gets back knowing how good he can be. So if Kobe can keep this up, if Io can keep this up, then I don't know. It gets really interesting all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, I think they have started to play together a little bit more to your point. Yeah. Um, tonight, I, there was a, a nice play where Kobe got into the, into the middle and sort of whipped a pass over to the corner for an IO three, I think it was the first quarter. Um, And I I do really like what you said about them complementing each other. Um, And I think, you know, I talked about this a lot last week, but they are going to need to have people step up and, um, and contribute in different ways in the playoffs. Uh, I think obviously like the fact that they're both sort of combo, not quite point guards, mostly off guard, you know, types of players it would make sense that they'd kind of be like fighting each other for minutes, but I do think there's a world where they can coexist. And um yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're starting to see how that looks. Uh, obviously Caruso has not been back in the lineup yet, but I think, you know, the bulls are a pretty short team in terms of height, but um I always got a really long wingspan. Caruso obviously can defend up multiple positions. Um I think they can do a lot with some of their smaller, guard heavy lineups. And and that's really what they've done all year. I mean, DeRozan has been playing a ton of power forward minutes. Derek Jones Jr. is 6'5", playing pretty much strictly power forward, if not center. So they have been playing short height-wise, but I think just the versatility of long, you know, especially like Iowa has been so impressive at the point of attack the last couple of games. Um, I, I think they can do a lot together. And as long as, yeah, it kind of just depends on whether Kobe's shot is going in, because I think a lot of what Io does travels a little bit better um, than what Kobe is.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I don't necessarily disagree. And and my inis- initial thinking was that, you know, Donovan would just have to sort of plug and play, you know, one of the guys, depending on matchups, depending on who's got it going on one specific night. But if, I mean, if Kobe... I'm not expecting him to, you know, come in and shoot seven from eleven, you know, every game. And to be fair, like in this run of games where he has been good, like the last six or seven games, there have been games where he's been closer to his career percentages of, you know, something like forty percent from the field and 36 percent from three. Like he's had those games, but even in those games, he's found ways to contribute. So as long as he can play at the level that we saw last season, and you know, I had a problem with this level of play last season because he was just the starting point guard but if you're getting that level of play from like your 7th 8th guy let's say like Kobe in this instance but you're pairing him with guys who make sense next to him like Io and Caruso do like from a defensive standpoint. And then you have DeMar next to those three in that second unit and whoever you want to run it back up center, whether it's Derek Jones Jr., Tony Bradley, Tyler Cook. I've loved what I've seen from Tyler Cook. It's really, it's actually really shitty that he's hinged because I've loved the minutes that he's been providing and, you know, he was playing really well. But nonetheless, like I'm not, I don't have too much of a problem of the small units against second units because... Not a lot of teams run massive lineups more generally, but even more so in second units. Like, how many big second units are there out there in the NBA right now? Like, I can't think of a ton to be honest with you. And look, that's that's more general against um, you know starting lineups as well. Like, I don't I don't completely understand this fascination that some within the fan base have in terms of getting more bigs in, getting in more rim protection, all that stuff. Like, I don't think it's in that dire of a need for the Bulls, but like for this for the second unit specifically, I I, I don't think it's really an issue either. So. I really want to see what they can do together and if that means you know Troy Brown Jr. is out of the rotation if it means you know Matt Thomas no longer plays then then so be it because Kobe's played well enough to uh to earn some minutes here and if they complete playing well together and keep connecting like there was a play in in the third quarter I think it was where I had a a steal in the backcourt and created points with his hustle. And it was Kobe that got on the end of it and had a nice running layup. So like to your point before about them connecting more, like that, that's an example of that exactly. So yeah, I'm loving what what we've seen from Kobe. And more generally, I'm just happy for Kobe as well. Like the fact that he missed basically all of the off season, didn't know really where he fit within the rotation of the team, given that the whole team had changed. He lost his starting job. Obviously came back, started really slow, was really bad, predictably bad. And then gets COVID and he's out for another, you know, two weeks, let's call it. Like, it's been pretty rough for the guy. So, to, for him to come back and to have this level of performance, not only to have this level of performance, but, like, for it to be meaningful and to the point where it's actually directly led to Bulls wins, I'm, I'm just really happy for Kobe. So, um, yeah, which maybe is ironic of me to say. and Maybe some people <laughs> will be laughing you know, at me saying those sorts of things, given I was a Kobe detractor last season. But um, yeah, I'm just really pleased with the the level of play he's putting out there at the moment.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of what my point had been is like, again, I'm not like a huge Kobe fan by any means. I think he like, he had a really nice um, layup or uh, actually, no, he kind of like he drove under the basket and did like sort of that Nash uh, like probe under the hoop and then pulled it back out and hit a fadeaway, like, you know, 12-foot jump shot, and it put the Bulls up a couple of points in the fourth quarter, and then immediately on the other end uh, did not step over as a low man and gave up a layup to Franz Wagner. So he's going to, like, cost you points on the defensive end, and if he can provide you with more scoring uh, than he's, like, subtracting, then he's going to be effective. But I think at the end of the day, like, he – is probably going to be like if the Bulls are this iteration of the Bulls is as good as I think you and I both think that they can be, he's going to be like the seventh or eighth guy and not the like you know third or fourth option that he has been, um, if not higher over the past couple of years. So he's starting to like find himself a role for that, and if it comes in the form of like having these sort of scoring outbursts. And then Lulls, I think that's okay if he's the seventh or eighth guy because you do have Io. Javante has, is uh, out for a couple of weeks with a groin injury, but um, he'll be in the lineup. And they're just going to have to find production sort of in that eight to 10 range on the roster spot, whether it's McKinney or Tyler Cook comes back, who I, I agree has been really great. Um, those guys are going to have to step up in various ways. But I think now we're at a point where like the top you know, four, five, six roster sort of like slots are going to be a little bit more stable and steady in the way that they produce as long as as Vooch continues to do this and not look like he did during the first uh, 15, 20 odd games of the year. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I mean, I think it, it all just kind of comes together. And when you have these Kobe games, that's great, but you don't necessarily need to like rely on him in that way um, that the the Bulls were kind of expecting to before they had this roster makeover.
0: Yeah, look, and I don't think it's coincidence that both Vooch and Kobe are playing well at the same time here. Like, I I think there is some synergy between that and and I base that on the fact that those two really found a good partnership towards the end of last season when Zach went out with COVID last season and it was pretty much just Kobe as the main guy on ball and obviously Vooch Still learning the system, still learning learning his teammates at that point, for whatever reason, found a really good balance and partnership with Kobe towards the close of last season. Like that kind of got reestablished over the last five to seven games, I've noticed, with particularly uh, with Vooch coming on on board quicker than Kobe initially, at least. But then Kobe's starting to get get it together as well. And like those guys have connected a lot in pick and pop sort of situations, whether it was, you know, Vooch shooting or, or Kobe shooting. So they're sort of starting to find their partnership again for lack of a better word and, and i kind of want to see donovan continue to pair those guys like they were really good together last season and, and kobe thrives as a catch and shoot guy and playing pick and pot with vooch who can draw you know the defender inside or if he's outside you know he can you know continue to set those screens for kobe like I, I just like that partnership that they've got going together so i don't think it's a complete surprise that both of those guys have started to find some form at the same time i think there's a, a bit of a connection there between the two but yeah, I'm just happy for both of them, to be honest with you. But it, it, it is intriguing because, you know, we've long been talking about on this show and you know, a lot of other Bulls podcasts and cash considerations have been discussing it. Every other Bulls podcast is discussing it. Every Bulls fan on Twitter has just been discussing the, the notion of trading the younger guys like Kobe, like Patrick Williams for a more ready-made guy. And, you know, I still have my opinion on that. And But I, I guess why I wanted to, to raise it again Well, I I, why it becomes more fascinating now is because one Kobe is playing really damn well, but that it was a a point of discussion on the latest uh low post where where uh Zach Lowe had Jeff Van Gundy on and they were talking about a range of teams as as they typically do, but um, the Bulls got a mention there and they're talking about the Bulls more generally, but they got to the trade conversation about whether you know a team like the Bulls could seriously compete in the East and if so whether they would be a team at the deadline that potentially could go after Jeremy Grant. And if so, would you trade Patrick Williams for him? And, you know, Zach, I believe in that episode, mentioned that he he wouldn't do it and maybe he doesn't think the Bulls would do it if I'm misquoting or, sorry, rem- remembering correctly. Maybe I'm wrong in that instance, but JV, uh, Jeff Van Gundy did say that he would pull that trigger because he, he feels like the Demar and Zach window is... Open right now. Who who knows how long it's going to be open for? So you should go for it now. So it was an interesting conversation. Uh, it was actually nice to hear the balls on a, a you know a, a huge podcast like like low, the low post. Regardless, but the the fact that you know they were broaching a topic that so many of us have been discussing, and it, it just gets a little bit more juicier, I suppose, now with Kobe playing the way he he is, and if he continues to play this way, I don't know. Does it make it a little bit more difficult to? to pose such a question or, or maybe it makes it even easier in the sense that maybe you could get more back. It's like, where, where are your thoughts on this whole trading piece, particularly with Kobe uh, looking the way he is, Patrick Williams, hopefully coming back at some points and uh, just the conversation that was uh, occurring there on the low post.
1: Yeah. I think the, the I, listening to it, it seemed like they approached it out of order where initially they were talking about where would be a good Jeremy Grant landing spot. And Jeff Van Gundy said the Nuggets, which was pretty funny because he uh, was on the Nuggets and had a great playoff run with them uh, before getting his bag and going to the Pistons. Um, But then he mentioned the Bulls and essentially um, his point is that like the Bulls are probably, you know, in the top couple in the East, um, sort of in that group or maybe a half step below the Bucks and the Nets and approximately around where the Heat are. And um Damar is playing, as we talked about on on our show, Damar is playing at such a high level. Zach is playing um kind of like getting overshadowed actually, I think. He's been mm-hmm. unbelievable this year. Uh yeah. just like the the volume and scoring production that he's had has been um just kind of outrageous and um, people aren't really talking about it because he's not the one hitting one-legged fadeaway game winners. But um, <laughs> essentially exactly what we had been saying is like the windows open right now, you know, the nuggets were a sprained ankle away last year from potentially beating the uh, the Suns. I believe was it um, in the playoffs. And, you know, who knows maybe they, they go on and are able to beat the bucks, but um now Jamal Murray has a torn ACL and Michael Porter Jr. is out for, you know, the season, if if not longer. Um, you just don't really know. Like if they would have made that decision to go get their guy last year, maybe that, you know, results in a championship. And I think the, if the Bulls are in a position where they can add a guy that will elevate, to the, elevate them to that level, then... You know, there's the argument to do it, and I think his point is that Grant. Um, I don't know if like the Bulls are like runaway favorites for for the title if they add a Jeremy Grant, but it does make them more versatile. It does give them you know another really good player that they don't have right now in a position that they're sort of weak. And Zach Lowe was kind of waffling a little bit more. Essentially, he said that like you know the Bulls could. The Pistons really like Patrick Williams, obviously, and that they made an offer and were the highest bidder that at the very last moment, he thinks that the Bulls would balk and not go through with the deal because that's how high they are on Patrick Williams. So, yeah, I I just think it's an interesting conversation, obviously, to like hear national media talk about it in a way that, you know, is potentially more informed than uh, than us and certainly a little less biased one way. Yeah, it's an interesting question. and. I still don't know if I know the answer to, like it's not a situation where like you're trading for Kawhi, right? It's Jeremy Grant, which is like a significant step below the production of like a Kawhi Leonard. So it it doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily like operate the same way that that Raptors move did, even though Kawhi left and they won the championship. Like I think most people would agree that that was like a worthwhile trade because they won the championship. So it's just curious because I don't think that, You know, whether it's Jeremy Grant or Harrison Barnes or Pascal Siakam, whoever it is that the Bulls could potentially target, is really good enough to like put them over the Brooklyn, uh, over the Bucks and Warriors,
0: Jazz sons of the world. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you could could spin them multiple, multiple ways. And and, and I know why certain people don't want to make trades because they don't think the Bulls are good enough. And, you know, why are you going to trade the younger guys to, to acquire a win now guy, let's say if you don't really think the Bulls have a chance at winning now. But like the flip side of that is so true as well. Like, yes, it's not ideal and for for like the Nuggets, for example, because Jamal Murray blows his knee out. But if he doesn't blow his knee out, then maybe we're talking about the Nuggets as champions, as he sort of alluded to. But you know, you never know, and to that point, like you never know how big your window is going to be. Like we assumed when that Nuggets team came together and looked so damn good. That they would, and the fact that so many of those guys were in the in a a similar age bracket, that you know they were going to be potential title team for for a number of years. But now we have no idea if that's going to be the case because you know MPJ is injured. Who the hell knows when Jamal Murray comes back, and if he does, that you know what does he look like? Um, So you, you just never know what how long your window is going to be. And given that you are getting these level of performances from Demar and Zach, like. We don't know how long the Bulls window is going to be, but like Demar's 32. He's not going to be playing at this level for the next two three seasons. And, you know, over their last 10 games, both Zach and Demar are virtually averaging over 28 points a game and, you know, five or six assists a game. There's, you know, a couple... I've, I've done some uh, rounding there to maybe make it a little bit more uh, favorable for Zach, but nonetheless, like, they're both... The, the output that you're getting from both of them is essentially 55 points and 10 assists from both of those guys, and, and they're both shooting just ridiculous percentages. So, like if there is a season to go for it, this is the season to me. And even to mitigate some of the, you know, regression to the mean from DeMar, like I just keep waiting him to fall off a little bit. But then obviously as I keep waiting, he just continues to knock down this insane game. When it was like, I'm assuming some regression is going to come at some point. It may be not to the point where it's just like a 20 point per game score at some point this season, but maybe he gets down to 23 or 24 rather than, you know, the 28, 29 he's been average over the last 10 games. But, I'm assuming some regression will come at some point. So if that does occur, then, you know, getting through someone like a Jeremy a Jeremy Grant or whoever it may be will help you offset that more than, you know, waiting on a Patrick Williams to come back. And when he does come back, pinning all your hopes and dreams on, you know, Pac being able to... uh being the difference between being a, a a you know a low level contender to one that can who could truly compete with Brooklyn and Milwaukee, but I mean even to that point, like who's to say like the Nets or the Bucks don't suffer an injury the same way that the Nuggets did, or the, the same way the Lakers did, or whoever it may be, the same way the Clippers did that they lost Kawhi. Like who's to say those teams don't suffer an injury and the Bulls could have had a chance to make a move like this and really you know. Solidified their roster and, and given them a greater chance to to pull something off. And I, I would just hate to be in a situation where we're in the playoffs, the Bulls go to the same roster that they have now, deep into the playoffs. You're playing in the Nets in the Eastern Conference Finals. Maybe James Harden or Kyrie or Durant, one of those guys gets hurt. And maybe the series levels itself up at that point, but maybe it could have been a, a clear Bulls advantage if you had pulled a trade for like Patrick Williams for Jeremy Grant. So like that's... That's the thing I keep coming back to, but I guess it just depends on the on the player you're talking about, right? Because for me, like I like Jeremy Grant, I'm not enamored with Jeremy Grant. Like he's not a very good offensive player, I don't think. Like he's, I understand the Pistons suck; their offense is terrible, and it's tough to score in that system at the moment. Given that he's surrounded with a, a lot of bad players, but he doesn't do a lot off the bounce for me. He's not a great shooter, terrible rebounder. I, I know those guys, uh, Zach Lowe and J- Jeff Van Gundy, mentioned you know playing. Jeremy at uh small ball center some on on some occasions occasions which would be interesting but I, I would worry about the rebounding in that instance but i don't know i'm not a huge fan of jeremy grant i could maybe get around to doing it uh i like the idea of it i suppose but uh i mean it all comes back to what you think about specific players in in this instance but i mean where does jeremy grant fit on your you know totem pole or your wish list of three four hybrids who can come in and, and play the uh the patrick Williams role that's a
1: that's an interesting point that you dropped at the very end there is like play the Patrick Williams role and I think yeah. a lot of people are afraid or don't want to necessarily push all of the chips in because yeah DeMar is playing at this level right now but he's 32 or 33 years old and like that could drop off at any moment and yeah. um I think you could go either way with that one is that like yeah it could drop off at any moment like let's go all in and like this is exceptional what he's doing. Like, let's make the most of it. Alternatively, like he could be 60 or 70 or 80% of what he is right now. And the bulls all of a sudden drop to like the sixth or seventh seed. And now if you've made that trade, then you're out all these draft picks and you're out all of your young players. And it's just like a, a tough pill to swallow. So I really do go back and forth on it. And I think, um, the other piece that you mentioned that I think is really important here is like, it depends on which player. And I think uh, right now, Jeremy Grant is like the guy that people are talking about, because the Pistons are trash. And he's like, a good player on a bad team. Um, mm-hmm. They have like been rumored to be selling him. But I think he probably gets, you probably have to overpay for a player who's that position. Right. Because like everybody wants a six, nine wing defender who can like knock down some threes, not, not on a super high level because he's not a super high level shooter, but, um, you know, is he the guy that like elevates you over the top? And I think that's the part where I'm just not sure. Like how much better do the bulls become if they have Jeremy Grant on them? Maybe it is good enough to be, you know, competitive, uh, against the bucks and the heat and the nets. Um, but I don't know. And I think that's where the skepticism for me comes in. I think the last few times we've talked about this, I've been more excited about doing it. Um, but at the end of the day, like they have a window and like Patrick Williams might be the guy that is like the next Jeremy Grant or the next Harrison Barnes. Who's like that six, seven, six, eight big wing defender who can shoot threes and do a little offensive creation. But like the fact of the matter is he's not playing right now. And the Bulls have a window Mm. right now. So it's tricky. It's very tricky. And I just don't think there are very many guys who are available. There aren't that many guys in the league like this um, who like are that player archetype. And the few that there are aren't necessarily available. So you're kind of like picking from a few mediocre to good level options, whether it's Barnes or Grant or Siakam or whoever. So... It is hard to tell, like if if that player puts him over the top. I just don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, and it it just comes down down to our player preferences, player player evaluations, how each person feels about it. Like for me, like I, I didn't love the idea of Jeremy Grant just from a shooting point of view, but like the Bulls have made like their lack of three point attempts work so far this season, so maybe that wouldn't be a huge problem, but. I guess another thing that I keep coming back with on uh, with Jeremy Grant is like he left a similar situation where he would have been the fourth or fifth guy in in Denver to go to a bad team like Detroit where he could be the man or one of the main guys and, you know, have that larger role. Would he be prepared to come back to a a, a Nuggets-like situation like the Bulls are now where he would be, you know, the fourth or fifth guy, wouldn't be asked to do much on offense. He's had a taste of being a 20-point per game scorer, like a near all-star guy, someone who played for Team USA. Like, would he be comfortable... Being more of a role guy again—that uh, that's a concern I would have, and and maybe maybe he you know that would be okay, and and I'm just overthinking it. Maybe his relationship with AK would make it work. I don't know what the answer to that is, but that's just one thing that I have in my mind. So like, for me, he's gettable. Obviously, it sounds like he's gettable. Uh, would I do it potentially? It, we'll see where things are out of February, but like in, in terms of my priority list, like I, I would still rather have Harrison Barnes than, than Jeremy Grant. I think he's just a more seamless fit, a better player or a comparable player, I suppose, uh, I suppose, but maybe a better fit with this Bulls team. Cause he can shoot and can still play like the three to five, like, like Jeremy Grant maybe could in, in a smaller lineup, but I uh, look ideally it'd be OG for me. <laughs> that, that would be nice. Probably not, probably not uh, happening, but um. Definitely not happening.
1: I'm sorry to burst your bubble yeah. on
0: that one. Yeah, I know. But look, I can still dream. Like it's like we said, if we're four days into 2022, let's not get down you know, this just has yet, This has been a pretty good year for us so far. So who knows? It has. It's been a pretty good four days. <laughs> so maybe the OG dream is still uh, feasible. But I, I guess what I'm saying is like, I can talk myself into, into uh, Jeremy Grant, but it maybe depends on cost. And at this point, like, does someone like Jeremy Grant cost that much? Like- do we really need to give up much beyond Patrick Williams and Derek Jones Jr. from a contract standpoint? Like those two together, you know, let's call it 1670 million dollars as 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 a as a total. Uh, in order to make the 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 money work, that would work because Jeremy Grant's on about twenty million a year. Like that, that can work in terms of the CBA. Do you really need to throw in any, any additional assets at this point, whether it's I.O. or Kobe or future first, whatever it may be, given that one Jeremy Grant hasn't been good this year. The Pistons were super high on Patrick Williams at the draft last year. And obviously with Jeremy Grant being hurt right now, like he, he's not really playing basketball either. So not only has he been bad, he's hurt. So like, is do you, would the Bulls really have to give up more, much more than a Patrick Williams and a, and a Derek Jones Jr.?
1: I think you're probably looking at like, potentially the blazers pick but uh yeah i mean i agree they they seem to be pretty high on pat um understandably it sounded like they were going to draft him had he fell to 7 um but i think if you're in a position where you can like get out of that trade while retaining kobe and the blazers pick and then maybe flip that combination into something else like you know that could potentially be something Um, it really, yeah, it's like, I I think it's going to have to be a larger discussion about like what the, the whole of the roster will look like too, because you don't want to like eat into your depth that much. Like, I don't think Derek Jones Jr. is like untradable by any means, but he does fill a role. And I think you'd probably have to throw in like Troy Brown for some salary matching purposes and like he had a really nice game tonight. I haven't given up on him. I think he's like, could potentially be a solid player, but obviously he's like good salary matching. So um you're just kind of like eating into your depth. And I think really you need like eight guys. If you're going to be like eight like, reliable, good players to have like a competitive playoff run. So that's another aspect of it that I would be wary of. And maybe IO and Javante and, Kobe and Troy Brown and Derek Jones or whatever, any combination of those guys can work. But, um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, I don't, I'm kind of glad I don't have to be the one to make this decision because, uh, it's a really tough one, but I also think like AK has made those hard decisions so far. He's put together a roster that like, not everybody liked the decisions that he made. Um, they obviously like really lauded Caruso and Lonzo, but got killed for the Demar trade um so who knows i think he's going to like get something done it sounds like and they're obviously like in a position at the top of the east standings where they should and probably will make a trade but i don't know
0: yeah it's a fascinating time it's uh, like, obviously that's why AK gets paid the big bucks to 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 make these decisions Lowe kept reiterating on that uh, on that podcast that the Bulls are super super high on Patrick Williams and that he doesn't maybe even think that they would want to give up Patrick Williams so maybe this conversation is in, in, in regardless of all this stuff because if the Bulls are that high on Pat and you know maybe they're prepared to just go the season without him and just get by with Derek Jones Jr and Javonte and Caruso sort of running through that fourth spot then yeah maybe they don't do anything at the deadline and, and maybe they don't do anything at the deadline anyway because maybe the Bulls are on top of the east at that point, and I guess it's always easier to pull the trigger on a trade when you're like six or seven in the conference and trying to you know get yourself up into that you know upper, upper echelon. But if you already find yourself there, like if you're already a few games clear of the nets and bucks come the deadline, let's say, um, assuming this continues as a trend, then maybe that makes them less likely to pull a. Uh, a trade off or, you know, or you know, maybe that impetus for them to make a trade, particularly if Kobe is playing at the level that he is now and you're still getting really good performances from IO, DJJ, Javante, et cetera, like then, then maybe you don't. Yeah, maybe you don't pull the trigger, but it's going to be fascinating nonetheless. Obviously, we're going to be talking about that over the next month or so as we head towards the deadline, but uh, it was just a worthy topic to discuss here on Bulls HQ, given that um, it was something that's been referenced on the low post. I think The Athletic have run a few posts on that. I think Hollinger wrote some stuff on it. I think the Detroit beat, uh, beat writer had some stuff on it as well, so... It seems like something that may happen or potentially has some legs to happen, and obviously we'll find out in you know four to six weeks, uh, but uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about it more nonetheless. But, well, maybe we can look ahead and, uh, for the remaining games on schedule for the for balls this week. I, I did mention earlier in the show that they do have a four-day break, so given that, naturally, there shouldn't be too many more games. Uh, coming up this week, but they do have a game against the Wizards on Friday night and then a game on the road against Dallas on Sunday. So two more games left in this week, two winnable games, two you know 500 level teams. Um, The Bulls should be able to take care of both. But um, I mean, what are you thinking? Do do they beat the Wizards and Mavs? I'm going to go one and one in these two games. Um, Okay. I think I've been
1: pretty close to, maybe we should like go back and yeah we should keep it tally eh? like keep an actual tally about this but yeah. I feel like I've been pretty good um I don't know just got feeling it's like very difficult to win this many games in a row they <laughs> they've been uh getting pretty close to losing a couple of these times like nearly fumbled it uh against the magic here tonight uh obviously Demar with the game winners down from or like from behind against both the the Pacers and the wizards so yeah, they they smacked the Mavs early on this season. I could see them wanting a little bit of revenge. Luca is working his way back into form um, after an ankle injury and coming out of COVID protocols. The Wizards are going to be angry. Kuzma had the whole like Damar said to hold my beer thing. So I'm gonna go <laughs> one and one.
0: Well, see, this, this this is the thing. Last week, I said three and one, and you said four and zero. When you were proven right in in their uh, unbeaten week, so I'm gonna say they're gonna go two and zero from here on out. They're gonna beat the Wizards. They're gonna beat the Mavs, and um, you know this 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 win streak's gonna get up to ten. So uh, let's uh, let's pull it into existence. Hey, man, I hope I hope you're right. They their last
1: time they lost a game was Saturday, December 11th, against the Miami Heat. If they can make it through these next two games with wins, their next game will be on January 11th. So a month will have gone by without them losing. So, uh, Haley, I'm, I'm here for it. I I hope you're right.
0: Hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll, uh, we'll certainly find out in, uh, in the coming days. Obviously next time we speak, we'll be reviewing those games and a bunch of other Bulls news that is occurring over the next week or so. So, uh, looking forward to, uh, talking about the next couple of wins here for the Bulls and getting that win streak up to 10. But, uh, William, thank you for joining me on this episode of Balls HQ. A great start to 2022 for you, I, and the Balls, um, as well as the listeners. I'm, I'm hoping that is the case for everyone listening in. I appreciate everyone for tuning into to Balls HQ. Um, hopefully, we've got a big year coming up in 2022 for you all, but um, thank you for tuning into this episode. You know the rundown at this point, but nonetheless, I'm going to spew it off anyways. You can catch the show on Twitter at Bulls HQ Pod. You can find Will on Twitter too at Won't Godly. We're trying to get Will up to 5,000 followers. We're pretty close, Will, aren't we? Um, let me check. I think I'm pretty close. Uh, 26 followers away. Look, look, surely we could find 26 followers for Will. I mean, that was the plan to get him to, to 5,000 uh, followers. I'll never need the another end. follower after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we've always got to have goals to strive for, but our goal was to get you to 5,000 by the end of 21. We came close. Didn't we came right really at but I, I reckon we can get there by the end of the week. So, 26 followers. Go for, hit Will Up on Twitter at Won't gotlieb. I'm at MK Hoops. If you want to send an email to the show, any, you know any questions, suggestions, ideas for us, whatever it may be, conversations that you would like us to, to have on the podcast, uh, you can send us an email, Bulls HQ pod at gmail.com. Five-star reviews, all that good stuff on Apple as well. But that just about does it here on Bulls HQ. Again, thanks everyone for tuning in. Happy New Year. Hopefully, it's a good safe and healthy year for you and your families. Hopefully that's the case for the Bulls as well. Hopefully that's the case for you too, Will, but I appreciate everyone tuning into Bulls HQ. We'll be back next week. Speak then, Bulls fans.